right, how's everybody doing today? I'm doing good? Okay. Hey, last year, I mean, I'm not normally a prophet, but last year I made a prediction about the Super Bowl and I was right on, okay? And so this morning I was beseeching uh, the Lord and I was looking and I was asking God, I want to give the people what they want. I don't want to disappoint them. I want to give you a prediction. And uh, at that moment, I heard a great wind and that great wind blew open my Bible pages and my eyes, they didst seek the Lord and they fell upon 2 Samuel 1.23 where it says, they were swifter than eagles <laughs> and stronger than lions. And y'all know how the 49ers got to the Super Bowl, they beat the lions and the eagles. And so I knew that the Lord was speaking through me this morning. But wait, what else did it say? It said they were swifter. And I started noticing some suspicious coincidences around Taylor Swift's favorite number, which is 13. Thank you, sir, for knowing that. Um, anyway, but as you know, this is Super Bowl 58. Five plus eight is... If Taylor goes, it would be her 13th time attending the Chiefs game. The date of the Super Bowl is 2-11. You add that together and get, thank you very much. If she flies to Vegas from Tokyo, the flight would be roughly 13 hours. And the Chiefs are playing the 49ers. You add four and nine together, and that is, come on. What are you saying? I mean, it's right there. So I said, God, I feel like you're speaking to me, and uh, I just flipped over to Job 7, 6, because 7 plus 6 is 13, and it described what the day will be like for the 49ers. It said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. And I knew what was going to happen today. It's going to be trouble but I still, I, I said, Lord, give me one more, just so I know, just give me one more so I know it's from you. And I started thinking about Patrick Mahomes, started thinking about the way he leads his team, he shepherds them, he leads them like a shepherd. And that brought me to 1 Peter 5, 4, where it says, when the chief's shepherd <laughs> appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. <laughs> Folks, the chiefs are gonna win today. That is my prediction. And the 49ers are just going to have to shake it off. Shake it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, for those that brought a friend today, I apologize. Anyway. Hey, a man in Amarillo, Texas became upset when he found out the price of the Beefy Crunch Burrito had risen from 50 cents to $1.49. After ordering seven of these burritos and seeing his receipt, he became angry. He pulled out a BB gun, fired at the cashier before running out into the parking lot. The police were called. They chased him down. He then shot at them with an assault rifle that he had in his car, shattering the cop's windshield. Luckily, no one was hurt. After hiding in a hotel room and forcing the police to bring in a SWAT team for a standoff, he finally surrendered and is facing numerous felony charges, all of that over seven burritos and the cost uh, increase of $3.50. 
Now, I'm going to talk to you about money today. I'm going to need you to stay real calm, okay? Because <laughs> here's what I know. I know that money stresses people out. I know that three, in four, three out of four Americans say money is their greatest concern. I know that people sometimes feel like they're not sure if they're going to have enough. I know they wonder, are they ever going to be able to retire? Uh, they say uh, we argue about money, that 60% of divorces point to arguments over money as the biggest factor. Um, that we feel guilty sometimes about the way we used money and how that is now impacting our present and our future. And so I just want to start off with some really good news, some gospel, some good news, and that is this. God cares about what you care about. And when you stress about money, when you worry about money, when you think about money, when you're discussing money and you're trying to figure all that out, I want you to know that God cares and God also has guidance for you about how to handle money. And we as a church wanna come alongside you and do everything we can to help you reach your goals with money and the goals that God has for you with money. Uh, we have a small group starting, uh, many small groups on this curriculum called Freed Up. And the whole idea behind this is to help you begin to create some margin in your finances so that then that margin can help you with the things that you care about. You want to help kids go to college maybe with that margin or you want to put some more toward retirement so you can do it earlier. Uh, maybe that's what you do with that margin or maybe you just get to the place where you're able to pay the bills that you have with a little more margin, or maybe for you to figure out with that margin, you can start attacking some of the debt that keeps you up at night, or maybe with that margin that you're able to do something that you've always wanted to do because you're good people, is you wanna help God's mission. You wanna see people come to Christ. You wanna see people move forward in their marriages. You wanna see teens uh, get on the straight and narrow. You wanna see the world changed by the church. And so we offer up this freed up slide or freed up class, and I'd encourage you to think about that. If, if creating margin in your finances in the context of a small group would be helpful to you, we want to come alongside you as a church. And then we have this series, three-week series called What Gives? We're starting where God started. God started when he talked about resources and money in Scripture. It really started with this concept of giving, that was in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and says, it is better to give, is more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. So the idea behind this series is what changes in someone's heart that actually prompts them or motivates them to give? Uh, you've experienced this, more blessed to give than to receive. When you were five years old and Christmas came around, man, you were so excited to receive presents. That is what pumped you up. But at some point, you grew up. And at some point in that process, you actually, if I'm assuming, I'm thinking that most of you have experienced that it's actually more fun to give the presents at Christmas and to watch people's eyes light up, that that's what's exciting. Now, I've got a, uh, one of our uh, staff people who just got engaged. And I'm telling you what, he went out and he got a ring at great cost, and he went and he set the, you know, he set the, 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 uh, the atmosphere for this thing and he gets down on one knee and he's so excited to give her this ring. She said yes, by the way. 
But it wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't because of some command. It wasn't because he was trying to earn her love. It wasn't out of guilt. It wasn't because some pastor was pressuring him to do anything. It was because he just had this expression of love and he wanted to celebrate that with her. And so what happens in a heart that actually makes somebody say, man, I'm excited about this. God loves a cheerful giver. That's me. In fact, I love here at South Barrington, I, I, some of our other campuses don't have this yet, and I'm looking at you guys, the other campuses, because I love what happens here. When we talk about the offering, the first thing, when, when the pastor gets up and says, we're going to take an offering, people cheer. And I have never been a part of a church like that. So I love your heart for giving. Now, I also know cynics get in the room. I would be so skeptical when I come, and especially mega church, you know, and I know all the stigma about mega church and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're a cynic here today, you're thinking, well, dude, you're just fundraising. That's all you're doing. You're just fundraising. I just want you to know I understand that. And I also want you to know that is not my heart today. You're just going to have to trust me on that. Um, in fact, I don't feel a lot of pressure to fundraise this year because I have figured out a way to meet the church's budget this year. We are going to sell the Men of Willow calendars um, all over the place. Um, he's going to go out through the country. We got to know this. not just me. We've got this one here, uh, this other one, right? There you go. That is Dwayne the Rock Shonson right there. And so we're going to sell those. Millions of dollars are going to come to the church. We're not even going to worry about the budget this year, okay? Um, but seriously, like, I really do. I care more about your, uh, about your taking next steps with Jesus in every area of your life than I do about coming up and trying to do fundraising. And you just have to trust me on that. All right, well, let's start where God started. Uh, God starts with this concept of giving that really develops into this concept of tithing. And if you've been around church at all, you've, you've heard that, uh, that tithing before. You've heard that. And when God uh, first started teaching people, he starts teaching them about tithing. And there are 39 references to tithing in the Bible. And we see the first one in Genesis 14. Uh, Abraham is going to, he wins this war that he was in and uh, Melchizedek, this priestly king who theologians say is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus, shows up and he's so excited about, you know, the way that this king or, or Melchizedek or Jesus helps him. It says that Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So basically, he was so excited, took everything he had, and he said, man, I'm so excited about all this, out of gratitude, whatever, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have, keep my nine. Now, that wasn't the first place. It, it, there was no command. There was no law. It was just this genuine response of gratitude. A little bit later in Genesis 28, we see Jacob in the desert, and God shows up and gives him this vision for his future. And it's so inspiring to him. It's so powerful in Jacob's life that it says this in verse 20. It says, then the Jacob, uh, Genesis 28 Jacob made a vow, so he makes a commitment to God. He says, if God will be with me and watch over me in this journey, so this is a long-term thing, I'm taking and I will give, uh, I'll give, give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all 
and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So he said, all right, God's got this vision for my life, and I'm just so excited about it that not just one time, I'm gonna give God his tenth, I'm gonna keep the rest. But not just one time, I'm so excited about it, like on the whole journey, I'm gonna keep giving God what, what he provides to me. Now, I first saw that, I borrowed this illustration from my African-American uh, uh, pastor friend, and when he did this at his church, every time he'd put one here and he'd put nine over here, all the people would be like, yeah, preach on. Like the same energy that you have when we say, hey, we're gonna take an offering, you're like, yes! They would start talking back to him. So like, hey, put the nine right there, or put the one right there, and then they'd give, yeah, because people started, they'd say, yeah, they oh, appreciate that, that's good, okay. So he starts doing this, that's what, that was Jacob. Now, here's what's interesting about this. It was still, it was a response of gratitude, there was no law, there was no command. But then in Leviticus 27:30, Moses comes along, and he said, a tithe of everything, a tenth, that's what it means, a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so what he did was he told everybody, hey, we're gonna codify this thing. We're gonna make it law now that one goes to God <laughs> and you get to keep, you get to keep nine of these things. Now, I gotta be honest, once it becomes a law, I think it takes, I, I, I thought to myself, it kinda takes a little of the fun out of it. Because now it's like a law, it's an expectation, it's command, and whereas before it was just this expression of gratitude and love. And so I'm like, God, why did you do that? And so now I'm just speculating here, but here's what I know about the laws of God. God would give a laws, like the Ten Commandments, as boundaries to protect people's flourishing in life. Not to limit their fun, but to say, hey, do not murder, do not cheat, do not steal, do not commit adultery, don't uh, dishonor your parents, like all these things that he'd say, he would say that to give protection for his people because he wanted them to flourish. Does that make sense? Right, so don't murder because when you murder, you're not gonna have a great life, okay? And your community's not gonna be great either. So I think what God did was on the way into the promised land where the Israelites were gonna become the wealthiest nation in the world, the wealthiest nation the world had ever seen, I believe God made it a law and codified it and said, hey, I'm gonna give you a boundary here because I wanna protect you because once you get wealthy, there's this temptation that's gonna happen that you're gonna start trusting in money more than you trust in me. And I see that even in our own world. I see people that take money and they go, you know what? Money is what gives me freedom. If I had more money, I could do more stuff. I wouldn't have to worry. Money gives me freedom. I'm like, no. Like, God is the one that's supposed to be providing freedom. And people say, um, you know what? Money is what I need for security. Because if I, have, if I have money, then I know I'm secure. No, 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 no. God is the one that provides security. Um, people say, you know, if I had money, then my net worth, my self-worth, my self-esteem, I'd feel like somebody if I had money. Maybe they don't say these things consciously to themselves, but you know what I'm talking about. And so I believe that God said, you know what, we're gonna make this a law because I really wanna protect my people as they go into this promised land where they're gonna have all kinds of money. That's my Yes. Then this concept of testing and this idea of 10%. I mean, why 
Uh, in Malachi, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So it's the first time this concept comes in, this concept of blessing, like this promise. I guess once the law came in, God also needed to say, hey, this is gonna get really hard, and so I'm gonna give you some promises along with this. So the concept was, if you'll give me one of your grapes, <laughs> I love you, you're so great, then you can keep nine of your grapes, and if you will do that, then you will see that before long, it's gonna be clusters of grapes, where you get a whole cluster, and then you get all nine clusters over here, right? And I guess that's what was going on. But this idea of blessing, but also testing. God says, test me in this. But I also think the 10 is a test for us. In the Bible, the number 10 was always used for testing. Uh, how many plagues were there for Egypt? There were 10. How many commandments were there? There were 10. We were testing your loyalty to God. You were testing your commitment to God, your trust in God. Uh, how many days of testing in Revelation 2.10? Uh, there were 10 virgins preparing for the bridegroom. Right now, how many, how many uh, disciples did Jesus have? Okay, you're with me. Thank you. I just wanted, I was testing you to see if you were with me, and that's what I was doing. All right, but this idea of testing where you could, God was testing you, but then he also said, you can test me, and it's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this. Then this idea of priority and first fruits in the Old Testament. Uh, Proverbs will say, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And there's the, there, another promise again. But, but here's what they would do. Um, they would take, um, they would take, the first part of their crops, and they would give that to God. And that was an act of trust and worship, and I will tell you why. Because once you give God the first part, <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Once you give God the first part, back then, like, locusts could come in and wipe out the rest of your crop. Um, thieves could come in and steal. Uh, you could have a storm come in and wipe out the rest. And so at the first of the month or at the first of harvest season, when you give that first to God and then you're gonna keep your nine, like that's a big act of priority and a big act of trust. Now, here is the other reason I think it's really important because here's what happens with us, I think, a lot of times is we will get our paycheck or whatever, and we'll say, man, we got enough for us and for God. And so at the beginning of the month, we're like, we're gonna pay our rent, because that's very important. We gotta do that. That's the first thing we're gonna do. We're gonna pay the car payment. That's really important. So we make that happen. And then the new iPhone came out, iPhone 48. And so we're gonna take that iPhone, we're gonna make that happen, because I still got plenty for God, right? And as we go through the month, we're going through stuff, but oh, daggone it, guess what happened? The car broke down. We weren't expecting that, but we have to pay that, you know, so we make that happen. 
And um, uh, the girl that I was sweet on said yes to a date. Well, I got to treat her right, you know, so we're going to go out on a big, uh, big date and pay a lot of money, and God will understand all that. And so by the end, what we do is we say, we got a little, we got a little leftover for God, and we just give God, it's, it is, it's sad, isn't it? Now, don't clap on this one. Don't clap on that one. All right, because we give God the leftovers. And you know how that works. And so I think there is this idea of priority. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you as well. And so I've always said, like, first is a way to prioritize. And so I'm gonna give God the first part of every uh, increase or, or check I'm gonna give God the first moments of every day. I'm gonna have a quiet time because I wanna set my day right and give him the priority in my day. I'm gonna give him the first day of every week. So I'm gonna come to church and I'm gonna set the tone for the week and celebrate all that God's done. I'm gonna give him the first day of every week and then I wanna give him the first place in every relationship so that all of my relationships are really around him and I'm gonna give him the first priority in every decision. So he always gets the first, and that was one of the concepts in, in there. Now, there was also that, that promise again that if you do this stuff and you trust God with all this, well, then, oh, there's going to be all this increase, you know, and so this has happened. People have seen this, like the fruit starts to get bigger, and they don't have watermelons. I would have gotten watermelons, but people started seeing all this happen, like God was faithful, and he started seeing all this happen, and they got really excited about it. Now, enter in the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity preachers, they see this happening as a principle, and now they start twisting it, and they start saying, you know what, let's use this to get more. So they're gonna say, hey, I need a new private jet, and I need to build, you know, I don't know, adventures over God or whatever they're doing, their amusement park or whatever. And they say, they start twisting it. Like, if you do this, then God promises to make this happen. Well, here's the deal. God doesn't just see the amount. God sees your heart. We're supposed to be giving out of gratitude, not giving out of greed. I'm not, get, I'm not giving to get. As soon as I do that, I'm short-circuiting the whole thing, right? So don't respond to the, you know, stick your hands in them jeans and pull out them greens, don't make me holler, don't make me shout. Just turn them pockets inside out. Send in that money. You know, like, don't. That came too easy to me, didn't it? I, <laughs> I should be very careful. But here's the thing, because, you know, sometimes it does happen with money. Sometimes it will. And there'll be people, and that's probably why some people cheered, because they have seen that. But it does not always happen that way. Sometimes it happens different ways. I do believe God blesses. Sometimes it happens with rest. Um, remember the first time our little church plant in Michigan needed some equipment. And so my wife and I said, hey, we're gonna give some money to help make that equipment happen. And then realize there's no way we're gonna be able to do family vacation. And then her parents said, hey, we're gonna go ahead and pay for you guys to go to Florida this year. Praise God. So it wasn't a financial blessing so much, it was the blessing of rest that God provided for us. Sometimes it's not uh, financial, sometimes it's just longevity, you know? Sometimes things just last longer, God helps them last longer. I was, I was in a small group one time, and uh, 
this guy said he's going to start tithing and trust God and take that step because it's a hard step. It's, it takes a lot of faith. So he starts doing this, and uh, like the next week, his brakes started grinding on his truck. He had this old truck, didn't have a lot of money. And so the people in our small group said, well, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy the parts. And then they spent all Saturday doing his brakes for him. It ended up being this like, cool thing for these guys to do together. And next thing you know, this guy's got his truck and it's gonna last longer. I've got, if you came to my house, um, I've got two air conditioners, two air conditioner units. They are 28 years old. If you could see in the spiritual realm, you would see angels hovering over my air conditioners like, no, these have to last a little longer, you know? They're not supposed to last that long. Anyway, so maybe that's what happened. Um, here's the other thing. Sometimes it's in health. Sometimes he'll bless you in health. Um, I have, uh, I had a friend that uh, they started giving, tithing, and that's why I remember this, because it's, it's a big step, started tithing, and, um, and then his kid found out his kid needed $6,000 worth of uh, braces and dental stuff, and he's like, what am I supposed to do with that? And at the same time, his wife took this part-time job at our church. I think she was uh, like one of the hosts at our church. And, um, and then when he comes back like a couple weeks later, he's like, guess what? Because the dentist had a policy that all church staff get free dental care. And so he was like, so here's my Colgate Max Clean that's gonna represent that. Um, yeah, it's very cool. And then sometimes, here's the deal, sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes the blessing doesn't come financially. Sometimes it just comes with peace in your relationships. You know, there's a lot of fighting that goes on in families about money, in marriage about money. There's something really helpful when you enter into marriage and go, okay, it's not about what you want or what I want, it's what does God want for his resources? How are we supposed to steward that? And so it's like, hey, we both agree that we're gonna give 10% to God, we're gonna give first, we're gonna save second, because God talks about saving and investing and the importance of that and the, uh, how important that is. And then we're gonna avoid debt as much as we possibly can. We're gonna avoid debt. And when you enter into a relationship with those priorities and guidelines already set, then you end up not having as much conflict around money. My little happy family, right? And then here's the other thing. I think sometimes it's just, sometimes he blesses you just with joy. Just with joy. Because you walk into a church and you see things happening in the care center. I love Carrie came up and introduced herself as the director of the care center and you were like, yes. And we had somebody get baptized today and you were like, yes. And I'm telling you, there is a different joy and celebration when you know that you were a part of making that happen. You were a part of fueling that life change and that good work in the world. So there's our little Willow T-shirt. So I'm not telling you that if you do this, that you're gonna always get blessed financially. I am telling you that when the choice is between this and all of that, you ought to take a real hard look at what the Bible says and be praying about what God might have you do. I got one last thing to talk about the Old Testament and then uh, we'll turn the corner here. And that is, did you notice in all those verses where it says, 
where to bring that tithe, to the house of God or to the storehouse. And so the idea is you bring that. uh, In the Old Testament, it was the temple, and they would use it to fund, to take care of the priests and then to fund the work of the temple. Every third year, they would take the tithe and they would use it for the poor and the widows and to take care of them. So when God gives you lemons, you give him one back. (laughs) Right? God gives you lemons, right? So you bring it to the storehouse. And I just want to say this, um, because I've seen this kind of a lot. I don't think it's 5% to church, 3% to your cousin who's in rehab, and 1% to United Way. And I'll tell you why. It's because, and first of all, you ought to give to those things. That sounds like great stuff to give to. But the tithe comes to your local church. And I believe God set it up that way so that Jesus gets the credit. Because if I give to United Way, then United Way goes out and does good work in the world. United Way gets the credit. If I go and I give money to my, my cousin in rehab or my tithe, then I get the credit. But if I give to my local church and then my local church does amazing things in the world and the church is the one that came up with hospitals and orphanages and universities and all kinds of stuff, then Jesus gets the credit. And I believe that even whether it helps me or hurts me in my cause. Um, when we were starting our church in Michigan, we had no money. We were meeting in a cafetorium of a little elementary school. And uh, my dad called me up and he said, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start tithing to your church. He lived in Cincinnati. He said, I'm gonna start tithing to your church. My dad was a business guy. That was gonna be a significant thing. And I said, great. And then I called him back a couple days later and I said, I've been thinking about this. And I said, dad, I really believe that the tithe goes to your local church, 10% to your local church. And um, so I appreciate it, oh my gosh, so much, but I just really believe God's gonna be most honored and blessed if you just do that at at your local church. He said, okay. Um, Now, I would tell that story (laughs) um, when I was sharing sort of the storehouse principle. I would share that at my church. A couple of years later, I get a call after teaching that storehouse principle one one weekend. I get a call on Monday, and it's my buddy, uh, we'll call him Pastor Smith, who had a church in uh, Milwaukee. And uh, he goes, hey, Dave. I said, hey, man, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing great. Heard you were talking about storehouse giving. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, my, my brother goes to your church. I said, yeah. He goes, you know, he's, uh, he's one level below C-suite at Ford. I said, yeah. He goes, and you know, he's been tithing up to my church in Milwaukee. He called me after your message and said he's switching his tithe to your church. And I was like, ha ha, glory to God, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I, either way, whether it hurts or helps, I'm just telling you what I see in the Bible. Okay, now, so there was this tithing practice, first 10%, local church that got caught, it started out as gratitude, but then codified into law. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus gives a fuller picture of the law. Jesus comes and he says, listen, I want to help you understand. God was helping people with the law to try to understand and give them protection and that sort of thing, basic understanding of stuff. I'm going to come and sort of reveal it even more and even better. So in Matthew 23, 23, you had the Pharisees who were uh, tithing, but who were also not doing justice. They weren't doing mercy. Uh, They weren't doing these things. And Jesus sort of rebukes them. And in the midst of that, he's like, hey, I know you're giving your tithe. 
but you're not, you're not standing up for mercy. You're not standing up for justice. I, you gotta do both. Like he's trying to say, there's the heart behind the thing. It's not just this legalistic like tax that God puts on you. Understand the heart behind the whole thing. And so he's like, understand a fuller understanding. That's what Jesus did. He would always come and be like, um, oh, there was a time where he said, you have heard it said, talking about the law, do not murder. But I tell you, don't even look upon someone with anger. So see how he sort of rounded out, gave a fuller picture. He said, um, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't even look upon a woman with lust. And Jesus is saying, do you understand the heart behind the rule, the heart behind the law? You see, I think Jesus would come and say, if, you're, <laughs> if you've been given, like the Pharisees, if you give your 10% and just be like, whoop, 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 that's God's and I can do whatever I want with my then you've kind of missed it. You've missed the heart behind the thing. I think Jesus would say, I'm actually taking it from 10% to 100% under the lordship of Jesus. Every day is his, all the dollars are his, my future is his, it's all his. And so there'll be people that come along and say, I knew it. I don't have to tithe. I don't have to tithe because we're not under the law anymore. And I say, I agree. I agree. But to you, I have written a fable. I don't do a lot of creative writing, so bear with me. There once was a man who built a successful carpentry business. He and his wife dreamed of giving a safe home to children. So his work not only provided him and his bride with what they needed to live, but also supported them adopting a child, then another child, and then another, until they expanded the dream to care for children by opening an adoption agency with the purpose of rescuing and adopting as many kids as possible. Now their oldest son, the first son they adopted, grew up learning the family carpentry business. And eventually, as the father was aging and facing death, he asked the son to take his place as the CEO. The son started by auditing the books. And he saw that every year, without fail, the father had put aside 10% for his bride and their shared mission, the adoption agency. In fact, the son saw that his dad lived well below his means, and even when the business did incredibly well, his father had not necessarily increased his standard of living, but instead increased his standard of giving to the support of his bride and the adoption agency. And that son saw the heart and the priority of his father so clearly by the way his father had managed the funds of the business. That son, now that he was in charge, considered doing things differently. In fact, he sat with a miserly old lawyer. Isn't it fun to make the lawyers the bad guys in the story? Sorry, I apologize to my lawyer. Okay, miserly old lawyer looking over everything, and the lawyer told the son, hey, you're the CEO now, and there's nothing in the stipulation, uh, there's not a stipulation in the bylaws that you have to give that 10%. You could, I mean, you could get a new house, you could get a new car, it's a significant amount. You could really, you know, live it up. And that sounded pretty great. And besides, the adoption agency seemed to be doing well. Other people were now donating to it. And so the son 
He really considered it, but the son paused and thought better of it. And out of love for his dad, out of gratitude, remembering everything his dad had done for him, adopted him, given him his position at the company, that son made a commitment to run the business in a way that would honor his dad's priorities and wishes. The son answered the lawyer, I know my father, and I know how much he loves his bride, and I care way more about their mission than I do a new car or a fancier vacation. Therefore, he increased his giving to the adoption agency and fired the lawyer. The end. (laughs) The Bible tells us that God gave everything through Jesus so that you and I could be adopted as his kids. And the Bible talks about the church as his bride, this incredible adoption agency that we don't have to support, but we get to. And I want to encourage you to think about all of God's wisdom when it comes to finances. We're going to give an offering in in just a little bit. Um, But before we do, I'd love for you to just begin to consider what does a next step in trusting God with your finances look like? A lot of new folks at our church over the last few years And I'd love to encourage you especially, what does it look like for you to become a part of this family, supporting the mission and honoring God out of gratitude? God gave first, God gave all. None of this makes sense except within the context of the fact that he went first and gave his only son. And we're gonna celebrate that in just a moment. We're gonna take communion together at all of our locations. But before we do, check this out. I'm not what you'd call a patient person. I'm sure I have other strengths, but let's just say I'm working on that one. Oh, I am so sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I insist. I insist. But I've started to realize that when something happens that really, I am so sorry, provokes my impatience, there's probably something Um, there I should pay attention to. What's the price on that? Three nineteen. Oh wait, I have a coupon for that one. I know it's in here. Hold on. Ah, here you go. Thank you. Yeah. What was the price on that one? Four dollars. Oh, um, you could take that one off. I don't. I don't need that one. One forty-five. Oh my goodness. She's price checking a bar of soap. And that's when I realized she's price checking a bar of soap. She needs these things. 
and she doesn't have enough to pay for them. And then it hit me. I've been her. Anxious. Not over money. Anxious over my soul. I've been scared because I know that I need so much more than I have and I don't have near enough for what I need. I won't ever have enough because none of us do. No matter what we do, no matter how many coupons we produce, no matter how we try to make up the difference when we do the math, we all fall short. So thank God, thank God that his son came along and said, I'll pay for it. No. I'll pay for no. all I, of it. I can't, I can't let you do that. Please, please. I want to. Will you let me pay for all this? Okay. 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 But I have coupons. I do. I have coupons. I have coupons. Hey. Hey. I have hey. Coupons. Hey. You can put away your coupons. You don't need them. It's all completely covered. All of it. All Thank of it. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bible says that for God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible also says that while we were still sinners, while we couldn't pay the debt ourselves, Christ died for us, died on a cross, and then three days later rose again because he was fully God and fully man. It says that if we put our faith in him, that our sins can be forgiven, our debt can be paid, it can all be covered, and we get to live with God forever. And that produces in us this incredible gratitude. Uh, this meal that we're about to take is, it's spoken of in many ways. Some call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Uh, our Catholic friends call it the Eucharist. The Greek word there is Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks to take the body and the blood of Christ as a way to give thanks and to celebrate all that he's done for us. And so I invite you as followers of Jesus uh, to participate with me. That on the night he was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to his followers and he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, said, this is my blood, poured out for you. And every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Jesus, 
thank you. Thank you that while we were unlovely, you loved us. Thank you that when we were not faithful, you were faithful to us. Thank you, God, that you have forgiven us our sins. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to um, do something now that was at the heart of Old Testament worship, which was the offering. They would come, and that was the way that they would celebrate. They would, they would give to God. And so I'll have the service hosts come down. And, and here's the thing. This is, uh, I know we've made much of this today, but this is not high pressure, okay? I want you to know that if, if you're brand new, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just a guest here, um, if, you, if you don't have the context of like, being a Christ follower or being a part of our church, then there's no pressure for you, okay? And especially like if you're brand new, um, we talk about four types of givers around here. Um, and so I would just ask you to think about what is your next step? Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't challenge and encourage you to think about your next step in your relationship with God. So we talk about being a compassionate giver, this idea of your heart seeing something and going, I wanna make a difference. And a couple of the ways that we've done that here, we have the dollar club. And the dollar club is where we just say, hey, just give a dollar. You just grab a dollar and put it in. So the entry, the, the, the bar of entry is low. It's a dollar. Uh, but what's cool about that is we pull those dollars together and we use all of that to help people in our community. And so I would encourage you, if you don't give at all, maybe that's your, your first step. Or to begin thinking about COH, our Celebration of Hope, where we give money to all of our partners around the world. You can be thinking about that as we prepare for that. That'll happen just after Easter. That's a compassionate giver. Uh, as you get more involved here, uh, I would encourage you to think about being a consistent giver. This idea of kind of doing what Jacob did. You know, Abraham just said, I want to thank you one time. Jacob said... I wanna make this a regular thing, I wanna prioritize it. So maybe for you uh, to go online or to figure out a way that you can give uh, on a, in a regular way, $20, $40, whatever it is, uh, just be consistent about it. And then what I talked about today is really a Christ first giver. We named it that because it's this idea of we wanna put Christ first in every area of our lives. And I wanna say, if you've never had the practice of tithing, I would challenge you and encourage you to trust God, to test him, uh, take the next three months, the next six months, do that, and then just see what happens. That's my encouragement to you, Christ first giving. And then I just wanna celebrate the fact that there have been those who said, you know what, Jesus doesn't, doesn't talk about 10%, Jesus, you know, it's, it's all fully surrendered to him. And we have about 400 people in our church that say we wanna go above and beyond our tithe when we see strategic things in the church that need to happen, projects that, that need to happen. We have our catalyst team. And our catalyst team goes above and beyond to meet needs and to move the mission forward. And so we're so grateful for that team. So I'm just asking you to think about what is your next step. Let me pray for our offering and then we'll take the offering. God, we love you. We pray that you would move in our hearts in a way that's appropriate for where we are in our spiritual journey. 
And I pray, God, that you would um, more and more impress upon us just the gift of Jesus in our life. God, I pray that uh, you would move in people's lives in a way that they can see that they can trust you, uh, build their faith. And I also pray, God, that you would give, the, give wisdom to the leaders of our church, that every dollar that comes into this place, that you would give them wisdom to know that, that where that dollar could go, that it could have the greatest impact for your kingdom. It's possible. We pray uh, as joyful, cheerful givers. In Jesus' name, amen.